and welcome to the sanctuary a safe space to speak from the heart i'm your host israel and my guest today is someone that draws every single day colin mac isaac illustrator theater artist what don't you do thank you for coming to the show today uh, thank you for having me yeah i'm going to start with quiet process first right because, uh, I mean, I'm like you, I, I also do stuff every day, but I don't do anything that's you. Like, I always set myself up in such a way I can't fail. Like, one of my daily things literally drawing a stick figure. I mean, I can't draw a stick figure. <laughs> but, like, what you do is, like, um, um, kind of like these portraits of um, playwrights, right? So, how did you, why did you start it? Why do you call it Quiet Process? Well, I started, it actually, I kind of fell into the daily drawing thing, sort of, well, not accidentally, but I started out doing um, this like month long challenge um, a number of years ago of like, you know, do a drawing every day. And I've been doing a lot of theater and kind of neglecting my visual art illustration practice. And so I was like, yeah, this will be a good way to like force myself to get back into that. Mm. Um, and I also felt like I do tend to get nervous about posting things or like I was nervous about posting art online because I started second guessing myself and being like, oh, well, this isn't really good enough to post. Or like I should have put more time into this. But then if I put more time in, it would be like overworked and things like that. So mm. it was also a really, really good mechanism for me to just be like, nope, well, uh, if I'm going to follow my own rules, I have to post it. Doesn't matter if I don't think it's good enough. And which I think was pretty freeing for me. But um, but yeah, so I started that uh, a number of years ago and then I guess about three years ago now, um, one day I, cause I would have little challenges and sometimes I'd draw certain things or other things. Um, but it just coincided with the day that I switched over, um, from making my primary place of posting, um, uh, Tumblr to Instagram. I got a new Instagram account and I was like, what should I draw first here? And I had a book of, uh, plays by Sarah rule. Who's an American playwright, uh, kind of next to my bed. And I was like, oh, I'll draw a little portrait of Sarah Rule. And um, then after that, I just kind of was like, well, maybe I'll just keep drawing um, uh, female non-binary and trans playwrights that I really like, because that certainly is something in the theater industry where it's been, you know, a very playwriting has been a very uh, male dominated field as, as so many things have for quite a while. So um, just to sort of highlight the people who are out there, and I always kind of had said to myself that I was like, well, I'll just keep doing this for as long as I can, you know, find people um, to draw. And mm. uh, so, yeah, it's been, um, I think today I will be drawing my uh, 1152nd playwright. Um, and it'll be my 3222nd day of consecutive drawing. So, um I just, when I start rolling with something, I, I end up often continuing with it for longer than I expect. <laughs> that is, that is on one hand, super inspiring. On the other hand, super scary. Cause like, you know how you always, I don't know if you have this, but me, like I, I see this person I'm inspired by and I'm like, I'm never going to do that. But then on the other hand, like all I have to do is start, right? one mm -hmm. thing and then it's going to add and it's going to add but when you say three thousand that's like years and years of work yeah i definitely did not expect it when i started i was like i'm going to do 30 days and then i was like maybe i'll go to 50 then i was like 
I thought I could do a hundred. And then I was like, I could do a year. And then I was like, I could do a thousand. And then now I'm just like, I'm just going to keep going until it stops feeling good. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, you know, the other thing is, you know, every day I check in and it's like, holy shit, I didn't know there were so many female playwrights. I had the same, like, now I feel very naive for not like realizing that of course there would be so so many people to draw because I think if just you know if you ask someone like it's like oh who are the like the playwrights in the canon um uh you know they might say one or two people that aren't uh white dudes but I I think that that is is starting to change now and people starting to see that but just seeing also the number of playwrights who have been sort of overlooked like because I draw playwrights from like at any point in history like I draw people that are making work today I draw people that as long as there's um either some kind of visual reference or um there's been a couple that I've been like okay well there's this like you know French playwright from the uh you know uh 1500s and mm. she didn't have a portrait made of her because she wasn't thought of as like that important because she was like a woman writing plays kind of thing um mm. so sometimes I will kind of invent uh um what people might have looked like um anyway sorry I don't know how I got off on that no no no, no, no. <laughs> that, that's that's all good I, I was just saying I didn't know there were so many female playwrights Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's I might be wrong here, but it's like you started out with like, was that watercolor or what? It was well at first when I was doing them, I would just kind of use whatever I had um, close by uh, because part of it is about this like daily practice, and and part of the daily practice was about me being too busy to take time to make art. So mm -hmm. a number of them would just be like, I'd be like, oh, I've got like a bit of an envelope here, and um, a pencil or like, I happen to have watercolor today or like, oh, there's some highlighters in my backpack. And I would just kind of draw with whatever tools I happened to have on hand. And then mm. more recently I've, um, uh, been able to get access to, uh, a iPad that has a really good drawing function and program. Um, is that so a Procreate thing? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. What the freak, man? Everyone <laughs> that draws says, oh man, Procreate. I'm like, well, like you already can draw, so and like people that can draw is like everybody can draw. I I don't think that's a skill everybody can learn, cause like I've tried it and I suck at it, man. Like I'll be drawing my stick man that's supposed to represent me. I don't know for a long time now, and and it still doesn't look like me at all. But there's someone that draws like a caricature of things. When you look at it, you can be like, oh, that is this person. I'm like. How did it start for you? Like, how did you start drawing? Oh, I guess I've been drawing for ever, I guess. Like, I I definitely was very fortunate. My parents, um, you know, encouraged uh, our artistic impulses. Um, I definitely remember there was, like, a number of incidents of drawing on walls and drawing on oneself. Um, but uh, yeah, I've just always, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've loved, I've loved drawing. I remember being in like uh, grade one and drawing like I had never seen the symptom Simpsons because I wasn't allowed. Um, but uh, when I was very young, but I remember like drawing Bart Simpson uh, cartoons for other kids. Um, but yeah, it's just something that I've always really been drawn to. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I saw no. what you did there. <laughs> um, um, so, 
you 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 know you did you like go to school for it or yeah i ended up going to um uh well i was really interested in drawing and i was really interested in theater from a young age as well kind of as soon as i got access to it and realized what it was um so i ended up going to this sort of like arts high school in alberta where i'm from um in edmonton and um getting to really kind of uh, do a lot of theater and art there and then i went to emily carr university for um uh, animation was my major there. And then I immediately came out to Halifax and started doing theater instead of animation. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've, I've uh, always kind of done sort of a, a mix of things. What, what brought you to Halifax? Um, kind of random adventure in a way. Um, my partner and I were both kind of finishing up some education. We we're trying to figure out where we might like to live. And I didn't, I was in Vancouver, didn't want to go back to Edmonton. And uh, neither of us had been to Halifax before, but we were like, well, it's got some good schools and um, it seems like it might be a fun place to try out. So we moved here only knowing one other person in the province and we'd never been here before um but then i just totally fell in love with it like i have i've been here now for oh, like 14 years i think oh wow this summer, and mm. don't have any intentions of of leaving i just really love what do you love about it here i think it's a really good the size um and the community vibe i really like the number of um sort of because there's so many schools i think there's like a lot of sort of different um ideas and a lot of uh youth sort of injected into the city that might otherwise not be the case um i mean of course it's like gorgeous it's so so beautiful but i also growing up in alberta everything was really spread out and you kind of it was impossible to do things without a car and um everything was about commuting and traffic and um i really really love the walkability and bikeability of, of halifax um mm. And just finding like the the people and the communities that I kind of started to get involved in here, um, I, I really enjoyed that. So yeah. Mm, mm. Uh, and it's been fourteen years now. You said. Um, I think so. Uh, and then with with theater, how did that how did that come about? Um, with theater, it was more. Um, yeah, I didn't go to a lot of theater when I was a kid, but when I was around ten, I did these like um you know drama classes and it was at a time that i was having like a bunch of challenges and it really kind of helped things out for me so mm. um i then it is very funny because then i went to this arts high school so there was like a lot of um competition for people interested in being in theater things so i would audition for everything and like didn't get into anything for the six years i was there until the final year um what, but was, I think what did you I'm get just into like, uh, I got into a play by Canadian playwright James Reaney called Sticks and Stones and a um, short one act called Tone Clusters by Joyce Carol Oates, um, which were both like very cool things to uh, be a part of. And mm. yeah, I think I'm just like very um, stubborn and stupidly determined sometimes. So uh, <laughs> despite the fact that I... Um, you know, I wasn't like a incredibly successful <laughs> theater in my school years. I um, just really love, love doing it. And I love, I think the thing that really speaks to me about theater is that it's, um, it just seems like a very honest art form to me because I feel like we have these illusions around like permanence or things being like 
lasting for a long time or being something that stays and that that's more important. But with theater, mm -hmm. it's just all you put so much effort, you put so much work into something that then it's it happens in a moment of time and then it's gone. And to me, that's the most true to life. It's just this ephemeral moment that you put so much into and then once it's gone, it's it's past and that fleetingness of it is what also makes it important, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, then moving out here, sorry, I got sidetracked, but moving out here, I um, uh, was, I moved out here, so it was a recession, the biggest animation studio in town had just closed down, um, and I was like working at a bunch of temp jobs, and uh, I was not making very much money and didn't really have any connections, and then I um, decided to audition for a production of Goodnight Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet by um, a Canadian playwright Anne-Marie MacDonald because uh, it was taking place at Dalhousie University and my partner was going there and I was like do you think they would let non-students audition I'm like I've got nothing going on um, and so I auditioned and got into that and the director Dan Bray ended up being my collaborator for the past 14 years and we uh, have been working with a theater company the Villains Theater together and we're working on a production right now so um, that's kind of how I ended up staying in theater or kind of transitioning more into theater um, um yeah let's talk about villains how did that begin um so villains began uh dan and i did a couple of shows that we collaborated on together um and then he went to toronto to do his masters and out of that he was doing this production of a show called uh, the duchess of malfi um, which is by like one of shakespeare's contemporaries and um he was interested in potentially doing more shows. And so he had kind of done that production in Toronto under the name Vile Passeist Theatre. And I kind what of... What language is that? Uh, it's 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 oldie timey Englishy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it was from a quote, it, the name from that came from a quote from um, the futurist theater movement that Dan was studying at the time. And they were like, we're going to make theater new. We're going to get rid of this like old, like vile, passeist theater. And um, Dan was like, oh, I really miss that old vile passeist theater. Um, that's what I was like really like excited about. So um, when the company first started, it was specifically about staging um, uh, Renaissance plays um, by Shakespeare's contemporaries that maybe were, were, we tried to choose the ones that were in our minds kind of like, in many cases, just as good as like Shakespeare's plays, but um, mm. that kind of, you know, got lost with the like, they don't have like the Shakespeare branding kind of thing. So, you know, is uh, there's a lot of obscure Shakespeare plays that are maybe not as good as some of the plays by his contemporaries that, um, uh we wanted to stage so so yeah mm. that's kind of how that got started <laughs> and then it's evolved over the years um what was the first play you guys did um we did a play by um playwright john webster called uh tis pity she's a whore and um it's it kind of marked i think the first of many as you can tell by the title it's like there's a lot of these plays from this period that deal with things like um uh, misogyny um, and in some cases like homophobia and different um, uh, issues that we found were still really relevant uh, today and so kind of the first five years of the company we really were trying to um, 
deal with uh, or look at issues through kind of that Renaissance lens that spoke to things that were happening currently. Mm. So that's um, Tis Pity She's a Whore was one of those um, that took place at the University Club at Dalhousie University. And mm. um, then we just kind of kept going from there. Mm. And was a new play? So the newest play that we're doing is called, so over the uh, 11 years that the company has been around, we've changed not only our name, we're no longer Vile Paseas Theatre, now we're the Villains Theatre. And we've changed oh, our wait, mandate Before you well. continue, why the yeah. name change and why that name? So um, around, like when we'd been around for five years and we were kind of, we're starting to feel like we're like, yeah, we set out with this goal of sort of highlighting Shakespeare's contemporaries. We kind of met that goal. Like we did what we wanted to do with that. Um, but we were both still interested in making work and adapting work and um, kind of making new work. And so for a long time, we'd been calling because of the like number of times the word villain would show up in those old texts. Um, we would call our collaborators villains. And so um, it was when we were deciding to sort of shift the focus of the company into more like broad new work and adaptations as opposed mm. to just like we will only stage early modern non-Shakespearean theater um <laughs> uh we kind of were branching out um with that and wanted a new name to reflect the fact that it's it was a new company it was new new goals that we had within that or like a transformation of the existing company so mm -hmm. that's kind of how the villains theater came and and also looking at sort of like the origins of villain like it um the word it, it originally didn't mean like you know just someone like evil or a bad guy but it was someone that other people kind of would like look down on like a they were like lower class or like a serf or like a villain kind of thing um and so that was something that was interesting to us to see how people that, um, you know, maybe didn't have, uh, and not with ourselves, but like, just like thinking of the characters that we were interested in exploring that if they didn't have as much access to, um, you know, privilege or certain class or, or other things that then by the general society, they were looked down upon and not only termed lesser than, but also then termed bad or bad evil. And so that was kind of really interesting to us as well. So that's sort of some of the some of the places from whence villains sprung. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the new play about? So the new play is uh, called Observatory Mansions, and it is an adaptation that um, Dan Bray has written of a novel that was published in the year 2000 by um, a British author named Edward Carey. Um, it was his first novel, and he's gone on to write many more and I think he lives in Texas now, but um, the book itself is about sort of this group of recluses living in this old tenement building, um, a manor house turned tenement building that then now is like in stages of disrepair and it's kind of this like slum that these people live who kind of feel like they are outcasts from, well, they don't, I don't think they feel that they're outcasts from society, but they don't want to engage with society anymore. And ultimately that's because society has treated them rather shittily. Mm -hmm. And so um, the play is about someone coming into that scenario and seeing these people as human and um, bringing love and compassion um, into the equation and just seeing how that can be a really transformative thing. Um, mm. It's a very, it is a very dark play, but it does also deal with like, for example, um, I just live quite close to where uh, there was like this old convent turned 
um, apartment buildings that were torn down. And uh, I don't know if you remember the story, but there was one point at which they were tearing it down, but someone was still living in the building. Um, and that's the kind of things that get discussed in this play as well. So we were like, oh my gosh, it's so real. And then during COVID with people being isolated and the housing crisis, like it all just feels very much like what's happening in the world of the play right now. So, mm, Wow. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's hop into that then. Last year, what were some things you had planned that COVID came and just, you know, put in the back burner? Um, well, for Villains Theatre, we certainly had um, just like a number of kind of smaller events. We like kind of doing um, a lot of sort of event-based things. Like we've done things like a black tie chip night where it's like fancy chip eating, wearing black ties, but it's just about chips um, or, uh, it, you know, kind of collaborative. We would do these play in a days where we would adapt a play and then everyone would come together and, you know, just work on it for one day and then present it in the evening. So we had some of those kind of events that were lost. Um, we were going to do this production earlier. We were hoping to do a um, remount and a tour of another show that we'd done in the past. Um, so all of that was canceled. But we did then during the pandemic find out that we got we were successful in getting some of the funding that we'd applied for to do observatory mansions. Um, mm. And so that sort of reinvigorated us and uh, we were able to do a bunch of workshops, a script workshops about that. Um, mm. And yeah, then to go from there. But we we did kind of, um, you know, we certainly early on in the pandemic, we made this event called Isolate Nights, which was about kind of creating digital short plays. and. Our goal during the pandemic first wave was really to try to see what could we do to help support the artists that we work with and help support each other, get little bits of money flowing to people, give people something to work on um, in those early days when everyone was like, what's going on? Mm. Um, I mean, I feel like now still people are like, what's going on? But at the mm. same time, at those at the beginning, it was it was more confusing, I think. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, so how, how was the isolate nights how did that go what was the work that went into that and you know like getting things ready and actually getting people to watch it was um it all came together very quickly like we did do it basically i think in within the first 10 days of things locking down um in nova scotia at least so it would have been yeah like mid late march um 2020 um but basically we just had the idea that we wanted to do something like a short play night like we've done many um short play events at the bus stop theater as part of their 24-hour theater thing and the bus stop playwrights unit and other groups that have had sort of um short play nights and so we wanted to do something that would allow people to be creative take their mind off of the fact that there's this pandemic happening um or to work through their feelings about the pandemic through something that they were making. So we put out a call for writers that anyone could write um, something and submit it. Uh, then we um, put out calls for people interested in acting and directing and kind of matched them all up. Um, and in the end, I think we had, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, I think, nine. 18 short plays and almost 70 artists um, working on it. And then people donated um, when we basically, it all happened over the course of a week. And then we did a, um, a live stream um, of the vi finished videos at the final um, time of the week and people could donate to support the people who put stuff into it. And then we sent the money out to those artists so that people could get at least a little bit of something um, mm. in those early weird days. Mm. 
Uh, you mentioned Boss Up Theater. Uh, I'll get into that. But let's start. With, did you say twenty four hour nights? Like, like they just have plays all day? Um, no, twenty four hour theater is like where you create something from nothing in twenty four oh, hours. Oh, so you have to like, do it in one day. Exactly. So it's like usually oh, um, okay. like the group that would do it kind of through the bus stop would do it where it's like you know the playwrights will get a script prompt at like you know. 8 p.m. and then they write overnight and then by 8 a.m. they have to like give a script to the group that then will print it out for directors and actors who've been kind of like assigned to, to these uh, uh, scripts and then they'll rehearse them through the afternoon and then an audience will come in at 8 p.m. and watch the, the productions. Um, so it's, it's very... Uh, How uh, long do the plays have to be? Uh, usually like not more than 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Maximum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short plays. Yeah, short plays. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm just remembering. So, like, I have a film background, and film spoils you because you can have as many takes as you want. You you can show people the specific angle you want. You don't need people to really think too much. If you're like, that is the gun that killed a person, you can show them right. This is the gun. Um, and then I was like, okay, um, you know, so I think two years ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a play, but, um, just to see what it's like, it's not easy at all. Uh, <laughs> I don't like it. It wasn't fun. I mean, it was fun, but it was just so much work. Uh, first off writing it, but it was writing is easier. Like I can write, it's fine. Um, but I had to like, uh, I, and I, I kind of cheated there cause I just adapted, like I made a film. So I just took a story from that world and then just made it into a play. And then mm. I knew that I wanted to make it easy enough that we could change things around, but also interesting enough that people would want to watch. So mm. we got our sweet spot. And then my poor actors, we had to rehearse every time. So like film, like if you get to rehearse for a film, you're lucky. Uh, uh, and you, you know, you have some kind of money somewhere. Cause usually you just send people the scripts and then you might get them like once or twice, just like, okay, cool. I, I mean, from the audition, I think, you know, as a director, like your real job is just getting your audition right. Once you get that right, you're fine. Uh, so I was lucky that my actors, they are really good. They got the part, but we just had to, you know, okay now and plan how we're going to come in, how we're going to go out. What is the inside? What is, what is the inside of the house? What does the house look like? What props are we keeping where? And like plan all these things. And I think we rehearsed for, like, I've never rehearsed for anything that much in my life. I think it was like two or three weeks and we do like, you know, three or three three or four times every week and these people would come after work and man i'm so thankful for my actors but then on the day like i couldn't go to the opening night because i had to do something but then we had i think three nights uh but like it was great it was great i had a wonderful time um but I don't think I'll do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very funny. I had the exact same experience, but with doing producing film where I was like, oh, that was good. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what happened? Like film is easy. No yeah. way, man. 
filming so easier great. than theater. <laughs> okay, wait. In what way? What 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 did, what made you say you wouldn't do it again? Well, I guess actually th that's the nice thing about theater is that I feel that it can at its core just be like sort of a group of people in a room and as long as you're putting the people first um and working together kind of collectively on this project even though people have different roles and you know certainly different theaters have different styles of working but um I really enjoy when people feel they can like speak up and give their input versus mm. my my experiences with film have been more so that it's like, you know, everyone's got their specific job. They know exactly how to do it. Um, I mean, I do very much admit that my uh, issues with. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have a landline. It's very silly um, and it's ringing. And so I'm just going to unplug my landline. <laughs> There we go. Should have done that before this. <laughs> Professional. Um, but yeah, I feel like with the um, uh, uh, sorry, now I'm distracted. With film, my phone is ringing. Uh, with film, that um, I mean, I was uh, producing the film and sort of sort of doing film production management as well. Which and production management is something that I do for theater quite a lot. Um, at least with my own projects. But um, I found that I was so stressed that I was leading the project, didn't know what I was really doing because it was my first time. And um, just like any time that I had screwed something up, it means that like people like lost their time or that they, you know, it made all these like extra pressures on other people, but everyone has kind of had their own like individual roles. And it's uh, it, it feels much more like, um, I don't know, like films make me think of like an ant's nest or an ant hive, ant burrow. Where do ants live? I don't Holiday? know. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. But don't anyway, know. <laughs> but it's like everyone's like everyone's really busy and everyone's working, but everyone's also very focused on their own individual thing. And I feel like um, with theater, it's more like um, I don't know enough about other animals to know which animals work more collectively. What's a nice bees? animal like bees? Maybe bees are different. Well, bees maybe are like ants. I've really lost track of all of this. This phone call really <laughs> I'm so no, you're sorry. About anyway, to tell me why you did film and you're like, oh no, this is I'm done. I'm not doing it again. I think it was the pressure. I think it was there's more money involved in a way, and more um, everything has to be tighter. And um, I mean, I think also too, it was that I just uh, it wasn't something I'd done before, so it stressed me out because I uh, was in charge of something with a whole bunch of people underneath me that were more um experienced than i was um and so i definitely felt like i had no idea what i was doing so uh, i realized I, that that probably influences my no opinions. i don't i don't think so i think usually in film especially like if you're kind of starting out and you like get into a position of power uh you're most likely always going to get people that have done it for 40 years that black like, this is how we do it and blah 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 <laughs> But what I find is if you respectfully tell them that, you know, you kind of have a vision and this is how you found that vision to be uh, and you make sure that, yeah, you hear what they're saying, but this is why, you know, that cup has to be black and not yellow or whatever. Um, yeah, people usually come in line. Uh, I think we, I think my introduction with it, I was like French, right? We're making on zero dollars. I'm asking all these people for favors. And like, we're just trying to, and, and, and I think the thing with Teta is that 
you have to like your audience has to go on this journey with you in their mind also right because it's just mm-hmm. this stage and then and we're like oh imagine that there's like you know they are being tortured and all that stuff and this is the same stage is four houses or whatever and then the only difference that will be like oh in this house is one chair in this house is two chairs and you have to you know i think the theater audience has to be willing to go on this trip with you uh with the film yeah they have to to a point but it's like your job to make them see what you want to see so i think the thing for me is that in film you have a little bit more control than theater because like once you like you know once the curtains open up and then the lights come like it's it you don't there's nothing you can do if someone forgets their line oh well if uh somebody trips if if someone was supposed to sit down when they were supposed to if someone's sitting down when they were supposed to stand oh shit you know you 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 that's why i think with theater you have all these rehearsals but we film is like hey wait you didn't say that line let's do it again right you can always do it again and do it again and then even the final product is like chopped up but in theater, what you see is what you get, and that's it. But, uh, like, I'm lucky, 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 lucky that I had these actors that really, really believed in the project and really mm-hmm. went along on this journey. And, like, good thing is we took that play, and now we're making it into, like, a podcast, like an audio drama. Oh, cool. So you kind of listen to the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, ah, man, I, re- I respect people that do theater, though. Oh, yeah, you mentioned Bus Stop Theater. I was saying I was going to come back yeah. to that. A mm, couple of months ago, year ago, um, they started raising funding. Do you have any uh, more idea, uh, more to tell about that story? Do you know more about that story? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, have been involved with the Bus Stop Theater for years. Like, we, our second show that we ever did with the Villains Theater, um, uh, aka Valpaseus at the time, uh, was at the bus stop. And ever since then, kind of just their mandate and interest in providing affordable space has been really um, uh, something that I really love and always want to support. So um, I was the chair of their board for five years, and then I still kind of sit on their development committee and help them write grants. So I do know about the um, uh, the process that they've had, which is amazing, um, that basically during a pandemic, they were able to uh, secure the funding to buy their building after many, many years of advocacy and fundraising and going to different um, levels of government and trying to meet their requirements. Um, And so, yeah, it's there's been so many people who've spent so much time and energy to kind of help uh, the mandate of the bus stop be realized. And Mm -hmm. right now, as we speak, it's um, being uh sort of they're doing some construction to kind of begin like phase one of what some of that now that they own the building um they're able to do to make things uh an even better experience for people who are are creating theater there so is it going to be closed while they're building or what yeah they um actually we were going to be rehearsing there and ended up kind of getting uh bumped to have the renovations happen um but i know that it's kind of happening between now and the summer i don't know if they they might have the ability to you know have people in at earlier parts because there's different areas that are being renovated including the front lobby there's like a basement community room that's being kind of constructed and then also the uh, dressing room and tech room areas as well as the theater itself so i don't know what they're plan is if they might be able to open up some things earlier but um the by 
you know, by this time next year, there will be a bunch of different improvements in theater. And of course, they've got like a longer term, even bigger plan to build a second playing space and a bunch of rehearsal spaces and office spaces, um, but kind of are doing it in a phased way so that uh, the theater will be, you know, accessible to people for as much time as, as possible, because obviously um, it's not great to have it shut down for long periods of time, especially when there's so few other affordable venues um, in the province really well especially in Halifax um but uh so we're hoping that uh you know because it does coincide with yes the pandemic still ongoing um that it you know that wasn't as busy of a booking season as it would have been otherwise and that hopefully mm. by the time it's all ready um people are ready to come back into theaters more regularly again mm -hmm. okay um now how do you do it all <laughs> You know, you have to do this painting or drawing every day. You have to take care of uh, villains. And yeah, you might be writing a grind here and there. Uh, how do you do it all? <laughs> I have not figured it out yet. It is a super healthy way, I would say. But I'm working on it. Um, I actually did uh, up until last fall, I was working as the managing director of 2B Theatre Company, um, sort of like as my day job, uh, in addition to the other things I was doing. And now, I mean, certainly, I think the pandemic um, has affected a lot of people's capacity. But when I think now of, you know, the amount of things that I'm doing, and that normally I would be doing this while also trying to work um, uh, 32 hours a week, running a international touring company, um, I'm like, ah, that was, that was a lot of stuff. I don't think I could do that and this right now at this stage. <laughs> um, so I've, I've been trying to get better at um, managing my time and being uh, realistic about what I can get done. Um, still a learning process. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one thing you also mentioned is like funding when you were, uh, were working with Bust Up and in, in the development thing. What are some uh, tips you have for artists that are watching or listening when it comes to writing grants? Um, definitely. I mean, being as sort of prepared as possible is always a good thing. Sometimes you just don't have time, though. Like as someone who's been, you know, writing a bunch of grants for myself or my company or companies I'm volunteering with, um, in addition to doing kind of like full time work, um, you don't always have the time to do everything as well as you would like. So mm -hmm. I would say I would prioritize if you need like asking for letters of reference or support, asking those early, anything that you need other people to help with, do that mm. as early as you can. Mm. Um, and then just be very clear, concise, um, uh, be honest about what you're doing and kind of show if you're talking about past work, show the merits of what you've done rather than just like saying that you're awesome and that thus I should get money because I'm awesome. Be like, no, I did this, this, and this, and this. And then you're hoping that the jury will read it and be like, oh, that seems awesome. Um, so I guess those would be my uh, things. Also, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, Strategic Arts Management, I work with them as a consultant um, and can help like basically get, uh, I do consultant work on grants and stuff. There's a lot of other much more qualified and talented people doing consulting work on grants. Um, 
I definitely recommend going to places like them and reaching out to the program officers. Like if you're applying at Arts Nova Scotia or at Canada Council, you can reach out and talk to people about, you're like, here's what I'm thinking of applying with. And they can be mm -hmm. like, oh, here's some tips. Um, so if you have the luxury of time, um, reaching out early and, and kind of talking to people means you can actually get feedback and then that might translate into um, you getting the grant and getting funding. Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah okay that's great well um i'm gonna end with this though quiet process is still ongoing and mm -hmm. as an artist or as a creative there's this whole is it good enough thing uh how do you or what would you see someone that's like i want to put it out there but i don't think it's good enough i mean i can't I don't know that I could speak to like what would be best for everyone, but I know for me being able to put work out there, I think uh, like on a daily basis um, without worrying about, I mean, I do worry about it, but I do it anyway. That's the Colleen McIsaac story. Um, but uh, that putting it out there and just not um, self-censoring yourself um, because you're worried something's not good enough. Mm. Uh, for me, at least, was able to uh, sort of keep me moving forward, just kind of, and, and I guess actually to loop back to one of your early questions that I did not answer, I now realize um, about why it's a quiet process, which for me, it really is just like, if you're doing a little thing every day, it doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't have to be amazing. Sometimes you can hate it, but it's just one foot in front of the other, one step every day kind of getting towards not necessarily any particular, you know, uh, I don't have a goal of like, I want to have this many drawings or I want to have this. Um, it's more just, I want to continue to make art. I would love it if I felt like I was happier with the art that I made and that mm. I was learning things as I was doing things. Mm. Um, and being able to do it kind of in that, uh, way where it's just like, no, this is just part of my daily routine. Um, as opposed to something that then causes more stress um, mm, has been mm. really useful for me personally. Mm. Well, uh, Colleen, we've been trying to get this to happen before the pandemic. But, I know it's uh, been over a year. I can't believe it's actually happening. <laughs> it's so lovely to like actually talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary and sharing. And, you know, the more I talk to you, the more I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try and write another play and see. But this time, I'm going to just rule two people in one place, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely things you can do to make it easier on yourself. But yeah, what I've learned is that, like, you should show me how to make film, and I should uh, do theater stuff with you. Let's yeah, collaborate. film is easy. I could, I could make a film in, the, like at the drop of a hat right you know just you know get the right pieces but like theater is hard because you have to make sure everything is right like film you can cheat but theater not really not really especially when it comes to the actors man you have to and the other thing is like you kind of have to get your actors to be kind of different from you know in film you tone everything down in theater you turn everything up right so Absolutely. you have to make sure the actors are no you know know what medium you want to get this word out like oh no here we are exaggerating everything so let's uh, go crazy and stuff <laughs> absolutely but also i feel like that's the kind of thing that i love about theater is the fact that it's like you're reliant and i mean you are in film too but like you're reliant so much on working with other people in community um and uh 
and you're all kind of working towards this like collaborative goal, which I really enjoy. Um, so let's make some let's make some uh, film and theater together. Okay, let's switch. All right, thank you so much, Colleen. <laughs> okay, thank you. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.